Welcome to Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. Our world is increasingly complex, fast-paced, and divided. How are people of faith bringing their best selves to the world each day? How are we leading, growing, and being as people of God? Ing Podcast is a place to share insights and stories from individuals creatively engaging the present and moving into the future. On today's episode, Ing host Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards sits down with Christian apologist Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project. One of the things we have to do when we see people walking away is be able to to engage in conversation and hear their frustration. So many people just want to be heard and they don't have anybody to hear them and getting that frustration out helps them heal. But when they go and talk about their negative experiences and they're kind of shut down each time, then that pushes them further away. And I believe that when we allow them to be open, I, I think about Jew and the passage said that that imagery of pulling them from the fire, when we have mercy on those who are doubting. And the way in which we engage them when they doubt either is the distinction between us pulling them out or pushing them in. Lisa will be sharing more about the origin story of the Jude 3 Project and the challenge of theological education as we think about the future of the church, especially in African-American context. Welcome to Ing Podcast. I'm Dennis Edwards, Associate Professor of New Testament at North Park Theological Seminary, and I'm very excited to be having this conversation today with my friend Lisa Fields of the Jude 3 Project. Lisa, welcome. I mean, it's great to be talking with you. Thank you. It's so good to be with you, Dr. Edwards. Yeah, it's it's it really is a, a, a joy. I've been on the Jude 3 Project uh, a few times, and you know a little bit about my own journey of faith coming out of a, a, a oneness tradition. But but Lisa, there may be some folks listening that don't, don't know Jude 3 Project yet or might not know you. Would you mind sharing with us just a bit of your journey, maybe your faith journey, and, and, uh, and then tell us what you what you're doing right now? Yeah, so um, I'm a PK, a pastor's kid, been in church my whole life. Um, and it wasn't until I got to college that I began to question my faith. I kind of just bought into it my whole life. It was what my family believed, what my friends believed. I grew up in kind of a Christian bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, so never really thought critically about why I believe what I believe. The only time I think I remember thinking critically about it was when I was uh, about five and they were having offering. And, and I think the pastor said, we're going to give this money uh, to God or something. And I was just like, how are they going to get it to God? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good like, question. <laughs> is it like, does it go in the back and it's like some fire comes down and it, he takes it up? I, I didn't know. Uh, but that was the most critically I had thought about it until I got to college and um, I took a New Testament course thinking it would be like Sunday school. And it mm. definitely wasn't. Um, yeah. Our textbook was Bart Ehrman coming Oh, up. wow. <laughs> and his intro to New Testament was our, our uh, textbook. And if you know anything about Bart Ehrman, he is not a, a believer at all. He seeks to undermine the authority of scripture. Um, and he is a New Testament scholar at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And so first day of class, my professor said, I'm going to change everything you thought you knew about Jesus. And I realized that it's, this was not going to be Sunday school. And that really was a struggle for me. Um, my dad yeah. introduced me um, to an apologetic ministry that helped me navigate that space mm-hmm. and uh, fell in love with apologetics 
um, through that and then um, noticed there weren't many African-Americans um, in apologetics and wanted to do something to change that. Yeah. And that's wow. kind of how the the first inklings or thoughts of creating a ministry to bridge that gap began. Wow. You know, I did not know all of this about your background. So this is interesting. I knew you were a preacher's kid because I met your dad, but I did not uh, know that part of your journey. Um, well, you know, I, you, you, you've got me thinking of more questions, but uh, <laughs> first, first, you know, just in case there's some folks who might be confused over the notion of apologetics. I mean, do you have like a quick working definition of apologetics that you like to use or, or can you just uh, tell people what, what, what you mean by apologetics? Yeah, that's a, a great question because for the longest, my grandmother thought I said, I'm sorry for Jesus for it. Right, right. <laughs> Some people might, might hear it like that. <laughs> but apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means we ought to give uh, a defense, coming mm-hmm. to give a defense coming from 1 Peter 3.15, mm-hmm. um, which you have a, a commentary on 1 yeah, Peter. Yes, that's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> just a little plug there for y'all who don't have that. Um, but uh, just usually theologically, in the theological space, apologetics really is kind of intellectual engagement about our faith and engaging with other beliefs um, and showing the similarities and differences and being able to have intellectual conversations about it. Yeah, I really appreciate that. That's one thing I have seen in you and in your ministry is having meaningful um intelligent and even intellectual conversations, which I have to say, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm like the age of your dad. So I didn't have that when I was younger. I, in fact, I rarely saw Christians engaging the Bible on an academic level. Um, you know, uh, in fact, when I said that I wanted to go to college, some folks were a little afraid I was going to lose my faith anyway. So maybe <laughs> they were afraid like what happened to you in North Carolina. I mean, in, uh, in college was going to happen uh, to me that I'll be confronted with this with skeptical versions of uh, of the Bible, but I'm I'm glad that you've engaged you've and you've engaged scholars from across the spectrum who who would be you know very conservative to scholars who are very let's say progressive. Um, you you certainly have been uh, open to engaging folks or at least letting them have conversation. So I'm kind of leading up to as I'm thinking about this to Jude three to the ministry that you have. Uh, first, tell us why it's Jude three and and what. And what kind of gave birth to this? Yeah, so people always ask me, well, why did you choose Jude 3 over First Peter uh, 3.15? Because those are the two kind of apologetic verses. Right. And they're expecting some deep answer, but it's really very shallow. When I was st- starting the ministry, I was trying to think of logos, and I had the initial thought of contend uh-huh. and a boxing ring, which uh-huh. is really uh, goes against everything that I stand for now with more conversations, less debates. I think a boxing ring looks a little, uh, uh, it looks yeah. like we're getting ready for a fight. Yeah, so I yeah, scratched I that, that, but I had already decided on first, I mean, on June 3. So that's what I went okay. with. Um, <laughs> well, it rings well. I like it. And just in case people are thumbing through their Bibles right now, Jude is toward the end of your New Testament. And Jude yeah. 3, depending on the translation, will say something like, uh, the old King James says, what, earnestly contend for the faith? But yeah. it's, the, it's the language of striving, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, I, I thought it does, like you said, it has a nice ring to it, G3 Project. I don't think First Peter 3.15 Project would have sounded <laughs> <laughs> as, as good. 
Um, but the the motivation really behind me starting it was to to bridge that gap that I saw in apologetics and being able to reach people that look like me um, with the questions that we had in a yeah. way that I thought was winsome for our culture. Yeah. Wow. Well, I do want to dig into that a little bit. I and I'm I'm here sort of um, I'm a big fan of yours uh, partly because of what you just said. There had not been in my lifetime coming up, you know, places where I could do this in in an African-American context that um, that let me wrestle with these ideas. And in fact, I think I saw some people actually leave the church because when they had intellectual questions, they weren't always encouraged to um, to, with the answers. They were Mm -hmm. they were almost encouraged to not ask, you know, like like true faith wouldn't ask a question. Mm -hmm. So. So, I mean, I'm curious what you think about that. And then as you as you respond, um, maybe also let us know some of the things you you've been able to get into on Jew3 Project. Yeah, um, there hasn't, like you said, traditionally been that for us. People always ask, why do you think that's the case, especially that traditional apologetics doesn't meet the African-American need? But and I always say because classical apologetics really focus on the existence of God. Mm. And trying to prove the existence uh, of God. Okay. And you know, in the African American community, most people, I mean, black atheism is fairly new. Yeah. Um, most yeah. people believe that God exists. So if you have all of this work built on proving the existence, then you're gonna lose people because they're like, I'm already sold on that. I'm trying to figure out where God is in my suffering. Um, is the Christian faith a white man's religion? Mm-hmm. Um, and those are some of the questions we answer. Is Christianity yeah. a white man's religion? Yeah. Where it's gotten suffering, does do Black Lives Matter to Jesus? You know, those are some of the questions we're asking, yeah, awesome. along with the classical apologetics questions, because people have those, African Americans have those questions too. Yeah. But really just trying to frame it in a way that is, that meets the needs of Black Christians. Yeah. So uh, awesome. So is Christianity a white man's religion? <laughs> No, American Christianity, maybe, but, not, <laughs> but, but it, in the in the Orthodox sense, it's it's not. It's it's rooted in rooted in African theology and African uh, understanding. Yeah, you know, by Thomas Oden, Africa shaped the Christian mind. Yeah, amen. Thank you. Yeah, I was, of course, being a bit facetious, but we are in this funny moment right now in our society, of course, and. Uh, Going through uh, another presidential election season, a tense one, and mm-hmm. and it's uh, divisive for people of faith. Um, certainly, if I it, when I check my Twitter feed, I can cringe a lot over what I'm seeing in some places. Um, I, uh, I but I don't want to necessarily tackle all the big political things. I mean, but as it relates to apologetics and and this picture of what our faith is like, what what. What are you seeing in American Christianity, and maybe particularly as it relates to African Americans? But, like, what are you seeing at this moment, and and are there particular issues that that are emerging? You're saying that some people are asking about um, is Christianity uh, relevant for African Americans, or is it a white man's religion? But are you seeing like a particular urgency? I guess maybe is my is my real question here uh, for us to answer these questions? Like, are we seeing young black people leaving the church or something like that? Yeah. Um, people are leaving the church, um, because they feel like the church isn't addressing their needs. They're not just leaving white churches. They're leaving black churches, Mm. uh, because they, 
they, especially I think as black people become more educated, they're yeah. feeling like I've engaged on a higher level in school. When I come to church, I don't want to leave my brain at the door. Hmm. I want to be able to engage some thoughts that I have and what I'm learning about science, about yeah. history. And some things in the Bible just don't make sense to them or hard for them to understand. Yeah. And when they go with questions, people are saying, well, the Bible is their authority. And I think many people are just not accepting that anymore. Um, they want hmm. real dialogue around why is it authoritative? Yeah. Why should I trust it? And does it really have the answers um, to the crisis we're facing? Um, And I believe it does have the answers. I think it's just helping people to read the whole thing, uh, eat the whole roll, the bitter and the sweet, as as God told Ezekiel. I think a lot of people um, are walking away from the church and it can be kind of discouraging at times to see so many young people walk away. And what motivates me is the way that Jesus continuously pursues us while we were yet sinners and that he would leave the 99 for just the one. So I don't want to just let people go. Mm. I want to pursue them um, because Jesus pursued me. And Mm. so I think if we're being incarnational in our approach and we see how much God pursued us, then it should create a burden in us to pursue others. Um, and I think one of the things we have to do when we see people walking away is be able to, to engage in conversation and hear their frustration. So many people just want to be heard and they don't have anybody to hear them and getting that frustration out helps them heal. But when they go and talk about their negative experiences and they're kind of shut down each time, then that pushes them further away. And I believe that when we allow them to be open, I, I think about Jew and the passage said that that imagery of pulling them from the fire, when we have yeah. mercy on those who are doubting. Right. And the way in which we engage them when they doubt either is the distinction between us pulling them out or pushing them in. And wow. I think when we are listening mm-hmm. to them, when we allow them to get out their frustrations, we help pull them out. When mm-hmm. we just say, oh, that's just you, you're disgruntled, you got you got fake church hurt, then we actually push them in. And wow. so um, mm-hmm. I just, I think through that when I'm engaging. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. Thank you, Lisa. Lisa, because you come from a, a family where that was in church for a long time and your dad being a minister, uh, would you have like a word for kind of going in two directions, like what young people should know about old folks in church and what the old folks might need to know about young folks in church. Yeah. I think older people, I think have to give young people space to doubt. I think in, in, in the older days, they were taught not to, not to doubt, not to mm-hmm. express frustration. Yeah. You have to give them space to doubt or, and reimagine what they think the church experience should be. Yeah. And when you give people a voice, they're more prone to give you a voice in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's on the, the older people. And they have to be able to l- lament and repent for the ways in which they did church that was harmful. Yeah, wow. And I think when you are doing that, then you open communication up yeah. um, because you acknowledge that, hey, I didn't get it right. And I mean, nobody expects people to be perfect, but they do want you to apologize when you have a misstep. Yeah. Um, And I think for younger people, I think 
you know, there's this thing where church is full of hypocrites. And, and I always think it's funny because I'm like, well, we live in a world of Instagram where everybody, most people <laughs> are practicing some kind of hypocrisy. Whether they explain their relationship in a hypocritical way, relationship with friends, significant other, uh-huh. how much money they have, <laughs> how happy they are. And it's funny we run away from church because we think it's a place of hypocrisy mm-hmm. when we actually live in a state of hypocrisy. Yeah. And so uh, I think we have to examine ourselves as younger people to say, are the ways in which I'm critiquing unfair when I base it on the way I actually live my life? So mm-hmm. I'm Romans 2.1, he's like, you're, you're saying they're guilty of all these things, but you're guilty of the very same things. Wow. And so I think that's some ways that us younger people can look at ourselves in our criticism for older people. Because if you don't, what you don't forgive, you usually repeat. And wow. so I think we're in a space where we're critiquing so much and we don't realize that we're all, we've critiqued ourselves into repeating. And so I think we have to think about that in our critiques of the older generation. Wow. My young sister, you gave some really powerfully, powerful and wise words and, uh, and tweetable phrases. <laughs> <laughs> now, but in all seriousness, uh, I appreciate that. I mean, here I am as an older person wanting to still have something to say and contribute in this journey. And, but I want to do it in a way that also welcomes the voice of my younger sisters and brothers. Cause I, I see us as being in this together and you're somebody that, um, that I feel like sees that too, you know, that we're in it together. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's no need for us to be adversarial, uh, across the generational divides, you know? Um, <clears throat> so thank you for that. That's, that's really helpful. Because then you see, you see when they think, Oh, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about justice. Proverbs, the prophets are full of justice. The whole book um, right. has something to say about justice. So you can't read the Bible without running into justice passages. I, I mean, we were kind of joking a little bit before, but when you when you said that maybe American Christianity is the is a white Christianity, I do want to explore that a little bit. And without sounding like I'm trying to throw stones, I do want to be like uh, sensitive to this moment, though, because we do have uh, this tension with white evangelicalism presenting itself in a certain way. Uh, lifting up sort of American values, maybe even at times over biblical values. I'm wondering if some of the reason why people are reluctant to be in church are culturally reasons and not uh, biblical understanding reasons, or or are those related? You, you, you follow what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think people have let uh, people interpreting scripture um, get in their way of reading scripture. So it's, they see a misinterpretation by hmm. uh, far right wing white evangelicals. And they, they take that as their interpretation of scripture. Uh, so by and large, you buy into a white supremacist framework of interpretation without really reading scripture from cover to cover yourselves. Hmm. And I think because we live in a Twitter day where, you know, there's a few characters and we want to get knowledge in those ways and those tidbits, mm-hmm. we rather buy into that instead of disciplining ourselves to reading scripture. Hmm. And I think if you read scripture from beginning to end, 
the narrative that culture is trying to paint for you will be completely different than the scriptural narrative. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Um, You know, you mentioned reading the Bible from cover to cover. Are you finding, I mean, you're in touch with what's happening with a lot of young adults who think about these things. You've been in different parts of the country with Jew 3 Project uh, events and such. And uh, I was at a Courageous Conversations, for example. Uh, We'll talk in a few minutes about something that's coming up uh, this weekend. I'm I'm curious, um, are you finding people uh, who... Do people still read their Bibles? Are you seeing that? Or are you finding uh, not to be the case? And I'm thinking particularly of young African-Americans. Yeah, I don't think, I think people are reading the version tidbits. So uh, they read the verse of the day, they read the devotional, uh, they read uh, just somebody quoting something on social media verse mm. that uplifts them. There's a quote that I love by uh, William Lane. He has a book uh, on Hebrews Mm-hmm. And he says, we claim to be people of the book, but in actual practice, we are only people of basically Psalm. I'm butchering the quote, but our favorite Psalm or our favorite passages. Yeah, And I think that's where we are, that people are just reading clips, yeah. um, sound bites of scripture and well, not reading scripture. Well, you, you, you talk in my language now because, uh, <laughs> well, when I was on your program, I was talking about my little Bible book on, on what is the Bible, how we should understand. It. In fact, um, that's a Herald press book. And, uh, and in our conversation, we were, I was mentioning how for me, that's been a problem I've noticed across the board, but I've seen it also in an African-American context where people, uh, use the Bible almost like a, a, a series of incantations. Like I'll just pull out this verse and I and I'll say it, and hopefully something special or magical even will happen. And 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 it is kind of that utilitarian thing. Like I'll pull something out. But when you talked about eating the whole roll to to go with that Ezekiel uh, image to get all of it, I uh, that's something I push for sure. We need to know context. We need to know some history. We need to know, and not to make it burdensome, but just to fill it out, to say that mm-hmm. there's this conversation God is having with us by presenting to us um, the story uh, throughout the Bible. And we kind of miss out if we just pull a verse here and a verse there. So I, I appreciate you uh, acknowledging that. We're going to take a quick break now to thank our sponsors and invite you to consider sponsoring Ing Podcast. You can also play a big part in helping us spread the word about this podcast by giving our new Facebook page a like and sharing your favorite Ing Podcast episodes with friends, encouraging them to subscribe and join this movement of leading, growing, and being as people of faith. Thank you for your continued support of this podcast. In challenging times, how do we prepare for tomorrow? Invest in the path ahead with hope and sharing, love and caring, and with help from Everence. Many of us are taking it day by day, step by step. How can we make room for financial strategies and the Holy Spirit to help guide us for the longer term? Financial services for a purpose. Visit us today at everance.com. Yeah, I kind of get concerned that people don't read the Bibles as much. But one thing that I am excited about is I'm seeing more and more uh, scholars of color. Now, as I said, I'm older. And in fact, I was the first African-American to, uh, to get the PhD in biblical studies from my where I graduated Catholic University. 
And uh, and I'm starting to see more and more African-Americans and other uh, ethnic minorities with um, with with uh, academic credential, you might say, in, mm -hmm. in Bible and other fields. So I'm asking you about what you see in the landscape here of leadership. Um, in other words, when people are looking and maybe even coming to you for resources, what's your general sense of the uh, the range or the uh, depth of resources among people of color, particularly African-Americans? Yeah, I think it's growing. I love that I am able to point people in the direction of people like you, Esau, uh, Dr. Vince Bontu, and others who have created resources. And it's like, I think many resources have already existed. It's just mm -hmm. that you're not getting the the promotion like the yeah. other people. Well, and it's yeah. like, uh, I, I'm so glad that through the Jute 3 project, we're, we're able to say like, you cannot say there's no black scholars. Yeah. You cannot say that there's no black apologists. That's just not true. If you, if you say that you're being lazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Amen. No, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate that. In fact, uh, so, so the recent book I have out might from the margins, I'm, I'm arguing that, uh, we see, an ac a more accurate picture of Jesus when we see marginalized people practicing the faith because because of a variety of things. But one is that this pathway of uh, dealing with the marginalization, being on the fringes, yet persevering and and um, and and showing the way of Jesus makes us uh, really models for the faith. And I, when I say us, I'm including all marginalized people, African-Americans, women, uh, people of other, as I said, ethnic groups, but people who aren't conventionally uh, pretty in our society, people mm -hmm. who are physically challenged, all of those, all of us kind of can show a picture of Jesus that is um, not as, uh, you know, not, not always the picture that we get. So when mm -hmm. people say, like you said, that, oh, I don't know any uh, black scholars or I don't know any women scholars. Hey, we're here. And I think we actually also say something uh, somewhat unique and maybe even uh, I, I'm using the word accurate, something that points to the way of Jesus in a way that is uh, m more 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 true to what Jesus was like because mm -hmm. Jesus was on the margins. So anyway, that's the case I'm trying to make. And I guess what I'm, I'm hearing from you is that you're seeing also scholars who are coming from the ranks of the marginalized who are producing really good resources mm -hmm. um, for, for everybody. Yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate that. Well, as you, as you're seeing this and you're going around um, and, and connecting with people, what, what are you hoping for, uh, in American Christianity, and you can talk about Christianity in general, but maybe it's just starting here in the States. What, what do you hope develops and grows or what do we turn into or what, what is becoming? Um, I hope that, you know, through my work and your work and others, that people will develop a love for the Bible. I believe that you can't be a good apologist without knowing scripture. Hmm. You can't defend what you can't define. And if you Ooh, don't know, I like that. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We got to say that again. You can't defend what you, what can't, you can't define. I, oh, my goodness. You talk about language. I'm, a biblical studies is my thing. That's awesome. Anyway, keep going, Lisa. I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, I want people to know their Bibles because you can't defend what you can't define, but also mm -hmm. know the God of the scripture yeah, yeah. and know that Jesus is his son and the tomb really is empty. He really did die. And I think pointing people to a clear message of Jesus and the gospel 
mm-hmm. is what I want people to see so we can reclaim Christianity. Um, yeah. and that's the, and, 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 um, decolonize it from all, uh, the colonial trappings yeah. and the white supremacist framework that's trying to be hid in a, in a counterfeit gospel. Um, wow. that we can wow. show people the true message of Christ. Man, amen. I, I like that. I mean, you're, you're getting at actually what I was trying to say in my long question about Mike from the Margins, but that's what I'm trying to say, to decolonize, to to uh, have a different picture and shaping. You know, when I, in the opening of my book, I, I talk about in Black Panther when, uh, when they come up to M'Baku of the Jabari tribe and they're trying to get his help. And a lot of people may have seen the movie, but uh, the white agent Ross starts talking and he starts talking first and the Jabari start barking and they drown him out till he gets quiet. And there was, there's this, that scene actually made me laugh, but also made me want to cheer in the movie theater because there was, there's been a tendency for white folks to speak for me or speak instead of me, you know, put mm-hmm. their voice, center their voice. And in that movie, it was graphically made in that scene. It was graphically showing that, you know, this is not the time for this guy to speak. And now he was an ally to the people of Wakanda, but he didn't have to be centered at that moment. So I'm looking for, as you said, to regain a certain Christianity or to make Christianity Jesus like again, is the way I've been saying it. That's a hope that I have as well. As we grow into that hope, though, what, what's it going to look like? Do you think we'll be, like, in multicultural settings? Do you think we're going to be in, uh, in churches that maybe are ethnically different but, um, but harmonious? I mean, what, what, do you, what do you see? Um, I think some may be multi-ethnic uh, because there is a move, I think, as culture in America becomes more diverse, um, that churches, people want their church experience to reflect that. I do think by and large, because we're so polarized right now, yeah. churches will continue, I think, for the at least the next five years to be still, the, it will be the most divided time in America. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wow. interested to see how COVID even shapes that even more. But I do think, yeah. I don't, I'm not a champion that all churches have to be multi-ethnic. I think churches should reflect the neighborhood they serve. So if you're mm-hmm. serving in a predominantly white neighborhood in the foothills of, I mean, not foothills, but somewhere in Arkansas or yeah, somewhere yeah. in Wisconsin, your church is not going to be diverse. Um, right, if right. you're in the all black neighborhood, your church is not going to be diverse unless somebody comes in and gentrifies it, which is happening a lot. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but that's uh, kind of my thoughts on. on yeah, that. no, I appreciate that. And I hear you. I mean, I, I have, Having been a pastor for well, it was about thirty years from eighty nine to almost well to twenty eighteen, and I, I have uh, thought about that topic a lot because I've been in churches that all strive to be multi, and the language changed for me over the years. It was multiracial, it was intercultural. Now I think people say multi ethnic, but the but the point was we thought the churches should look a certain way, right? And mm-hmm. uh, but but I I guess I would make a case that you know, neighborhoods are more diverse than people think of, maybe not as racially diverse, because I've had people say to me, oh, our church is an all-white neighborhood. This is like, like it's not an issue for us. But I would argue that there's always some level of diversity that they're not seeing mm. uh, or not necessarily noticing. And, and maybe the racial diversity is not as stark, but if they paid attention to that, uh, it might teach them some lessons on how to deal with people across economic lines. And maybe there's people who are 
there's an immigrant population that they haven't seen who are working in in some places, you know, in their neighborhood or in their area. So I, I think there's levels of diversity, I guess, is what I'm getting at. But I'm with you. I don't think there, I don't think there's has to be the same level of racial diversity that we might assume all churches should have. But I would hope for more love. I would hope for more sense of uh, that we're in it together than we're feeling right now with all the division. Mm-hmm. Um, but could you tell me about some of the things that you've got going on? I notice a big, big weekend you've got coming up. Can you tell us about some projects that Jude 3 is working on? Yeah. So we have the Through Eyes of Color uh, virtual experience, which is really an offshoot from our curriculum Through Eyes of Color. Um, it's really for the it's the contextualized guide to help you know what you believe and why. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first uh, small group curriculum, apologetic curriculum tailored for the African-American church context. And it's written on the seventh grade level for the everyday churchgoer to be able to navigate these questions around other uh, Black faiths like Hebrew Israelism, Kemeticism, Nation. And just to think through those, think through problematic passages in scripture, think through early African Christianity. And also we start on how the basics of interpreting scripture, because again, that's the baseline. We have the uh, experience coming up with lectures from different um, Black scholars and speakers and yeah. have praise and worship. We have a DJ. Wow. Um, it should, it should be, it should be good. we got okay. conversations. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, are you okay naming some of the folks you got? Yeah, we got um, Esau McCauley, Chris yeah. Brooks, uh, myself, Dr. Cynthia James, Priscilla Schreier, Rasul Berry. Wow. Um, it's a lot of folks. I'm forgetting them all. No, that's good. And, and I, and I do want people to go to your website and check it out. I just wanted to have you mention some names there because right away because there are a lot of us doing good work um, and a lot of African-Americans who are speaking to, our, to us, to each other, but also to the world more broadly mm-hmm. and, uh, and have done some powerful work so, uh, uh, and some good thought. So I'm glad that you're able to, to, um, to highlight that for us. You know, one, one little thing about uh, Rasul. He remembers me a little bit, but I met him when he was a really young guy, uh, single. I actually had him preach at my church in D.C. years ago. When I was a pastor <laughs> there when he was like coming up. And uh, and now to watch what God has been doing in his life has just been really kind of exciting to see that. And um, so I just kind of date myself when I watch all you young folks um, <laughs> doing such wonderful things. But no, I'm very I'm very excited about that. So, Lisa, can can you tell us any story or testimony of how Jude 3 Project has ministered in somebody's life? Yeah, we have uh, many, but one particular stands out. We had a, a we do testimonies at the end of our college stops. We do a historically black college and university tour, and we also do other college stops. This one wasn't an HBCU tour stop. This was the University of uh, Louisiana at Monroe. Um, and one of the students said that, um, in his, his testimonial video, he was like, he was right on the edge because he was exploring some of this stuff, saying that Christianity is a white man's religion and Mm. kind of getting into these videos online and kind of buying into it. And it was like, he felt like after coming that night to hear the presentation, um, that we give the seminar, he was like, y'all pulled me back in. Wow. And that was so encouraging to hear him say. He was like, I was kind of on the fence, but coming tonight kind of pulled me back in. And just to hear many stories of young people who tell me, like, I was away from church. I'm going to church. 
now uh, we did a church hurt series um, that was one of our, our most listened to series and us addressing the ugly side of church and the things that go on. And they younger people were so glad we addressed it, but we addressed it in a redemptive way uh, to, to kind of encourage people to go back. And so to hear testimonies of saying, people saying, like, I went back, I'm going back to church for the first time hmm. was encouraging to me. Wow. That's powerful. I really appreciate that. And thank you for sharing. I'm, like you said, I'm sure there's many stories like that, but that one's particularly encouraging to me too. Well, Lisa, it really is good to have you here. I mean, I enjoy talking with you. We've talked about so many different things over the last few years, from oneness to um, uh, slavery in the Bible. We've talked about the Bible itself, and I've appreciated those conversations. And you're a good uh, connector. You you connect people well. Um, so could you let us know uh, how people can find you, um, you know, social media, website, all of that? Yeah, you could go to jude3project.org. Uh, you can find me Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at jude3project, personally at Lisa V. Fields. Um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, yeah. Well, I really appreciate having you uh, with us, Lisa. And uh, I want to encourage everybody listening to check out Jude 3 Project. There are going to be some scholars and practitioners that you might not be aware of, but Lisa has managed to find and have great conversation with them. And they will enlighten you and encourage you, stimulate you, maybe even provoke you to think about things in new ways. So, Lisa, thank you. And uh, we're grateful for Jude 3 Project. God bless you. Thank you for having me. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who continue to support Ing Podcast. We'd like to thank Everence, a faith-based financial services organization, for their ongoing support of Ing Podcast. Today's episode was also supported by Mosaic Mennonite Conference, a community of congregations and nonprofit ministries committed to living like Jesus together in our broken and beautiful world. Find out more at mosaicmennonites.org. If you enjoyed today's show, Leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Do you have a topic or someone you think should be interviewed on Ing Podcast? Let us know by emailing theing at menomedia.org. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Today's show was produced by me, Ben Wyden. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.